Let's go ahead and jump into the message. If you have a Bible, this would be a great time to open it. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13. And uh, this morning is going to be part three of the series that we started a few weeks ago entitled A Summer of Parables. We've been looking at parables, stories that Jesus told. He told a lot and they're brilliant. They're timeless. Um, that's, that's what we've been up to. This morning, we're going to be looking at the parable of the barren fig tree. It's going to be a doozy. And uh, um, before I, we jump right into it, it's actually quite a short parable. There's context. All, all of these parables have context, and context is always very important. I think in this particular case, uh, the context is especially important because he's telling the story, uh, as always, in response to uh, an, uh, an event, a series of questions, a, a very specific group of people. So, um, yeah, before we jump right into it, let me, let me set up the context. We're not going to read all of this, but essentially in Luke chapter 12 is where it begins. There's this massive crowd that is gathered around Jesus. We're told literally thousands of people. Uh, word is out. People are beginning to know about Jesus. They've either heard stories or they, they know someone or they've seen, experienced themselves. The healing power of Jesus. He is casting out demons. Um, his teaching is his boggling minds. And so people are coming from, from all the surrounding regions just to get close to Jesus. And as this crowd is gathered, in this particular time, he starts to challenge people quite strongly. Um, and the whole, it's a couple pages of, of teachings. And he's talking about hypocrisy. Uh, he's talking about fear of man. That is like putting the opinion of people above God's. He's talking about being a bold witness. He's talking about if you're going to follow me, if you're going to uh, pledge your allegiance to me, um, then you need to be bold about that. You need to be willing to, to, to let the world know about that. And if you fail to do so, then I will not let my Father in heaven know about you. It's very, very bold. Um, he talks about greed. He talks about consumerism. He talks about stewardship. He talks about the fact that everything that we've been given in life, including life itself, is a stewardship from God and God will hold us accountable. We are responsible for the breath that we've been given and everything else in life. Um, and on and on he goes. He talks about relational conflict. He talks about how to respond if someone accuses us of something, if someone comes to us uh, with a problem and, and now we're having to work out conflict. Jesus talks about the kind of attitude that we should have and, 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 and how dangerous it is to judge others. And he's talking about all this stuff. And then right in the middle of this whole series of very challenging teachings, there's a group of people that respond like this. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So put yourself there. In the middle of all of this discourse, in the middle of all of these challenging teachings, there's a group there in the crowd who in hearing him think to themselves, oh, he must be challenging those people. It's because those people that died in Galilee that were uh, suffered some sort of uh, consequences, they must have been being punished. It's, it, it must be because they 
weren't doing what Jesus is talking about. And it's a classic example of those people mentality. Oh, that teaching or that challenge or that rebuke or that correction must apply to those people because they're never really getting it right. But this is how Jesus responds to that. In verse two, it says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he gives this example in verse four, Jesus says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus has thoroughly leveled the playing field. He's saying, what I'm saying to you now, these challenges, these very um, challenging teachings, they're not just for those people. These are for everyone. Jesus is wanting to challenge us all. And then he tells the parable. Verse six, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it juice up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that in the next few moments, uh, you would help me to communicate uh, the, the, the very words that, that are from your heart. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to have hearts and minds that are open, receptive to the way you want to help us, the way you want to challenge us to grow, and the way you want to empower us to, uh, to trust you more and to uh, experience the life that you have made possible for us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we got the context. Thousands of people have gathered. Everyone's being challenged. Some respond by thinking, oh, surely he's talking about those people because they're never getting it right. So it's a good thing Jesus is talking to them. Man, I hope they're listening. Jesus is like, no, uh, I, know, I know it's tempting to think that way, but I assure you, unless you too repent, you will all likewise perish. This is a, a message for everyone. Um, Jesus expects all of us to grow up, to mature, and to bear fruit. Uh, not just once, not just twice, but as a matter of lifestyle. Jesus is wanting us to continue to grow up. He doesn't just save us to someday die and go to heaven, although that's, that's pretty good in of itself. I don't wanna marginalize that. But in the meantime, Jesus is in the business of fundamentally transforming us, helping us, and yes, challenging us to, to grow up, to become more fruitful. Um, in fact, I love what uh, John says. This is actually the words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus said, By this, 
my heavenly Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is, this is God's will. This is Jesus' desire for anyone who would want to follow him, for all of his disciples, us, believers, if you are a believer. And he says, of course, in the story, uh, we would be the tree, the, the people in the crowd. We're, we're all trees. And the, 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 the owner of the field comes and he speaks to the vine dresser and, and he says, look, I, I'm here to inspect the fruit of the tree. I'm not seeing any lately. It's been three years now. I'm not noticing any fruitfulness. It's time to cut it down. It's wasting space in the garden. This is meant to shock us, to wake us up, to stir us up, to rattle us. This is a challenging message that Jesus is delivering to us. He is literally saying, or figuratively, figuratively I guess, the parable is saying that God is interested keenly interested in the fruitfulness of our lives, so much so that he's going to come and inspect every few years, as it were. And if we're not growing, if we're not bearing fruit, there will be dire consequences. There will be a removal. There will be a cutting down. There will be a perishing. Um, whatever exactly that means, um, it's not pleasant. It's, 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 it's meant to wake us up. This is a hard thing to hear. This is a, this is a, a challenging um, truth. And I think there's reasons why when you hear something like this or when you honestly process through a parable like this and a context like this in the Bible, there's almost this, this automatic reaction to think like, well, he couldn't be talking about me because last time I checked, like Jesus loves me, so he would never like speak so firmly to me, but he's saying, no, 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 I am talking to you. I'm talking to everyone who would listen. This is for all y'all, um, not just those people, but it's hard for us to, to receive that kind of challenge, and I think there's reasons for that. Um, number one, we have a very strong spiritual gag reflex towards anything that sounds or feels judgmental. And when the scriptures are challenging us to grow, to mature, or to even reflect on the state of our souls, our fruitfulness, um, it can feel like, but um, is God judging me now? Because I feel like when he's questioning me in this way, when he's inferring that the, perhaps if I'm not fruitful enough, and there's somehow going to be this uh, unpleasant, these unpleasant consequences. Like I, I, I have a gag reflex towards that because, and for good reason, because we know that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love. Whatever could possibly be done, God has already done for us. He sent his only son, Jesus, to suffer and die for us. Jesus was cut down for us so that we can be accepted by God, even in our, on our worst days. And that, that is a beautiful core truth um, within the Christian life. And we don't ever, ever want to let go of that or downgrade that or, or somehow get that mixed up with anything else. 
And yet, Jesus tells the story. He expects us to bear fruit and he will evaluate our lives. And if we are not bearing fruit, um, there will be very painful consequences. Secondly, one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to, to receive the challenge from Jesus to be fruitful is because it's much easier to recognize the log, or excuse me, the splinter, the speck in the eye of another versus the plank that's lodged in my own eye. And this is a metaphor that Jesus uses elsewhere to talk about sin in our lives and our propensity to quite easily, happily recognize the sin in the life of others, but fail to actually look in the mirror and grapple with the plank, the gross sin that's lodged in our own eye. And you could call that hypocrisy. You could call that uh, a simple lack of self-awareness. You could call that just it's just hard. It's hard to look in the mirror. It's way easier to recognize and point the finger um, at the sin of others. So that's, that's just true. Number three, one of the reasons why it's so hard to, to receive this challenging word from Jesus is that we have a hyper-individualistic outlook on virtually all of life. Now, obviously, we all know, I mean, unless you're, you're listening from Africa or Asia or some other part of the world. Here in America, we are Westerners, we are hyper-individualistic, and even the most sort of communal, uh, family-oriented people among us um, have still been conditioned by our society to default towards an individualistic mindset. Um, and that's fine. In fact, there's, there's, there's great beauty in that, and um, it, it helps us to actually uh, connect with the reality that God he, he approaches us as, as individuals, just like the way I relate to my kids. I love each one of them. I have a personal, intimate relationship with each one of them. I know each one of them. I spend time individually with each one of them. And so that, that, that revelation of individual personhood can actually help us to relate to God in a lot of ways. But where we struggle is with our corporate identity. And this is primarily where the, the world of, of Scripture lies. When, when Jesus is talking about bearing fruit on the tree, he's talking to a whole crowd. And in fact, the, the Hebrew mindset is much more familial than, than ours as individual Westerners. Um, not to overgeneralize, but God is, is always thinking about the individual as well as the family, as well as the church, as well as the society, as well as the city, as well as a nation, as well as the world. And when he is talking about the fruitfulness of a life, he's not only talking about the individual, he's also talking about the fruitfulness of, say, an entire family. So when I'm thinking about my kids, I do think about them as individuals, but I also look at our entire family. And I realize that um, as a member of our family, as the, the, the husband and the father, I have a responsibility to, to, to cultivate fruitfulness in my entire family. And that goes for our church as well. Um, we can't just simply say, well, I'm doing fine, but those people seem to really being a being have a, be having a hard time, uh, but God will deal with them. Yes, and God will include us in the evaluation. I am my brother's keeper. I am part of a community and I am responsible for how I'm influencing and serving and helping 
those around me. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. Um, and I think we forget that a lot. And number four, this is the last one. The reason why it's so difficult to receive this kind of challenge from Jesus is because we forget about our sins of omission. I think we often think about our sins of commission. That is, a sins that I've committed against others, sins that I've committed against myself, like murder or lying or, or adultery or stealing or, you know, uh, the ways that I, I, I hurt others actively. But there's also sins of omission. God doesn't want us just to stop doing evil things. He wants us to stop sinning so that we might start living for him and living the life that he gave us life for in the first place. And that's not a boring life. That's not an inactive life. It's not a passive life. It's a life that's full of work that God has prepared for us. And so when we fail or refuse to do the work that God has prepared for us, those are called sins of omission. God expects us to work. Um, it's one of the joys of, of getting to know God. We get to become co-laborers with Him. We get to go to work with Him. And if for whatever reason we don't do that, call it apathy, call it self-centeredness, call it sin, those are um, symptoms of fruitlessness as well, or causes of fruitlessness as well. And so those are just a few reasons why I think it's really hard if we were to be sitting in the crowd hearing Jesus challenge uh, people in all of these different ways, that we would think, oh, those people. Man, I'm, I'm going to send the link to this message to those people because they really need to hear this one. Jesus would say, no, um, well, yes, and this is just as much for you. This is a challenge for everyone. I expect anyone who would look to me, who would call themselves one of my disciples to bear fruit. And I will be evaluating, I will be looking, I expect you to grow. And if you're not growing fruit, if it's been like three years and you've just grown stale, if you've simply just hit cruise control and you think to yourself, look at, I, I said a prayer, I know I'm in the family of God, I know that God's grace um, is more than enough and I don't have to do anything to somehow like maintain my membership in God's family. True, 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 true. And God expects us to keep growing up. He expects us to mature. He expects us to become increasingly more and more like Jesus. And if we're not doing that, then there will be consequences. He's not gonna simply just leave us be. He wants to help us to keep growing. Which brings us to the final part of the parable. There's good news. There's good news. There's a challenge, to be sure, which is difficult, let's be honest, but there's really good news, and this is just as important. In the story, you may have noticed, there is an advocate. The master, the owner of the field, he goes to check on the fruit of the tree, he sees none, and so he addresses the vine dresser, he says, look at three years now, no fruit, cut it down, the vine dresser advocates for the fig tree. And he says, give me one more year, I'm not through with this tree. Let me dig around it. Let me add fertilizer and then come back. In the story, there's an advocate for the tree. 
there is one that stands in the gap and says, look at, I believe that there is something worth saving here. I'm not done with this tree. I'm, I'm willing to actually work for this tree. I believe that there's still fruit yet. God is the vine dresser, by the way, if you didn't make that connection. And in fact, I quoted from John 15 a few minutes ago. This is what else Jesus said in John 15. In fact, this is the context I read from John 15, verse 8. If we back up to John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God is the vine dresser. God in Christ advocates for us. He wants us to be fruitful. There will be consequences if we are not, but he doesn't just leave us to ourselves. He helps us. And in fact, if we keep reading in John chapter 15, we eventually get to John chapter 16, where Jesus begins to go uh, talking in great detail about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the helper who would come to help us bear fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit are the very things that God is expecting us to grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, etc., etc. These are all things that are, are fruit that come out of a life of a person that is connected with the vine, the source of life, who's been filled with the Spirit we become healthy trees and we grow fruit by the Spirit. So Jesus, he not like a, a severe taskmaster. He doesn't just look down at us, cross his arms, saying, you got one more year or else, and then storms off. No, he advocates for us. He comes down, he says, I want you to be fruitful. I'm, I believe in you, if I can put it that way. He sees something worth redeeming. Don't ask me why God is so crazy about the humans. Honestly, sometimes I struggle with us humans. We're wonderful, but mm, we can be difficult. We can be difficult. God is crazy in love with his creatures. He loves the human. He loves the world so much that he came down from heaven to suffer for us, to purchase for us new life. God is crazy in love with the human. He loves you. He loves me. He advocates for us. He wants us to be fruitful. He's willing to do the work and he calls us to work with him. So there's an advocate in the story. God is the bind dresser. And then secondly, this is the good news. There's a process for growth, pruning, digging elsewhere, uh, the, the metaphor of watering, so if we're meant to think of ourselves like a plant in God's garden growing up, uh, designed to be fruitful, designed to grow, designed to mature, designed to become more and more like our loving Father, He advocates for us, but then He also, um, He works out a process. In this particular parable, it involved digging around the tree and adding fertilizer. Other places, it talks about the, the pruning like we just read. There is a process to growing up. 
There is work to be done. And to be sure, God is truly the one who is at work in us, and he gives us the energy that we need to respond, to grow up, and to obey. But it's a participatory process. Jesus doesn't just sort of like pull the, 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 the strings on the marionette. It's, it's not just the Spirit who is making us respond in repentance, that's making us to become more obedient children who are fruitful as we grow into the likeness of our God. We do have a choice. In fact, elsewhere, we're told to make every effort to, to add uh, character attributes to the life that we have been given in Christ. So growing up is a process. We have an advocate and God gives us the helper, the one who energizes us and empowers us to trust Jesus and to obey him and to grow and be fruitful in all these ways. But it still requires work. It requires work. It requires effort. And again, the good news, the good news is that God doesn't just cross his arms and look down on us any more than I would just simply stand back and look down on my six-year-old and say, oh, sort yourself out, kid, what's your problem? No, he, he gets close, he picks us up, he walks with us, he teaches us, he strengthens us, he encourages us, but we still have to take steps of obedience. He still allows for us to take responsibility. He gives us the ability to respond as he calls us to repentance. This is challenging, but this is good news. God has a vision for our lives. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature, which really simply begs the question, and this, this brings us full circle. How is God wanting you and I and us to become more fruitful during this particular season of our life? In what ways or in what way is Jesus challenging you, challenging us as a church to mature, to become more like him, to grow in our love, to grow in our joy, to grow in our generosity, to grow in our compassion, to grow in our faithfulness, to grow in keeping our promises, to grow in learning to love like he loves, to lay down our lives for others and what does that look like in very practical terms because it's so easy to simply nod and think man those people no jesus is wanting us all to repent or perish just to simply use his words he wants to challenge us to grow i can't answer that question for anyone but myself how is Jesus challenging you to become more fruitful in your life? What area of your life is there sin that you need to repent of so that you can begin to come alive and bear more fruit and become more like Jesus? What is that? Now, you might have some people around you who could help you discern that. You might have some people around you who really love you and uh, would be happy to, to help you process that and say, hey, I... I I could suggest a few things if you like the feedback, um, or it might just be a matter of you looking in the mirror and simply asking Jesus, saying, Jesus, search my heart. What, what is it that you want to get at in my life today, this season? And then Lord, help, help me to obey. Help me to trust you in a way that I would obey. 
and to obey with joy because it is a joy to walk in the freedom that comes when we trust and obey our good and faithful Father. What is that for you? Individually and corporately, how will we become more fruitful this year? A couple closing thoughts, very practical. I call these fruit goals. Um, you know how I feel about hashtags, but hashtag fruit goals. Sorry, can't help it. Hashtag fruit goals. What are your fruit goals? Uh, whatever they are, let me, let me say this, this is, this is kind of broad, whatever you feel like God is leading you, or perhaps as you're reading the scriptures, something will stand out to you, you might feel a conviction. Whatever that is for you, I, I, you, it must lead to greater love for God and others. Okay, it can't just be like a, a personal development thing. I feel like God is like calling me to, um, I don't know, like buy a new car and that's gonna be my fruitfulness. Not unless you're planning on using that car to serve others. Now, don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with buying a new car, having nice stuff. But we're talking about fruitfulness. We're talking about becoming more like Christ who fundamentally is for others. His whole life centered around receiving and giving love to others. So greater fruitfulness, whatever that might be specifically, practically, will always result in greater love for God and others. And yourself, by the way, we're included in that. My personal fruit goal for this season is very much related to our current cultural moment, as we say. Um, I have been very prayerfully doing my utmost to lean in to what's been going on with the last couple of weeks. Uh, the death of George Floyd obviously sparked nothing short of a revolution. This has gone around the globe. This, this is a moment in history. And of course, it wasn't just George Floyd. I mean, this is something that's been building up. This is suffering that's been going on, injustice that's been building up to a systematic level uh, for, for decades, for centuries. But in light of recent events, I've been praying more. I've been asking God to, to give me more of his heart, more of his insight, uh, to be able to sift through all of the sort of social media noise and rhetoric and anger and, and everything else. And to, 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 to figure out like what God are you doing versus what is the enemy doing? And, and what is your heart in all this? Because I know that Fundamentally, God's heart is always for the broken and the downtrodden and the vulnerable, and whether that's a person or a people group. And in this moment, I'm thinking a lot about brothers and sisters of color, people of color, black people specifically, um, who've suffered in injustice and abuse and racism. And, and it's really God's doing a work in my heart. Like, I, it's, you would think that I would just quite naturally, you would think one would quite naturally just want to lean into that. But it's, it's, it's been more complicated than that for me. Um, but to be sure, I have felt the Holy Spirit taking me on this journey, wanting to, to stretch me and grow me, challenge me, um, that I would have greater understanding um, of, of just my own history on a corporate level as a nation, as a city, um, as a church, that I might grow in my compassion for others. Um, and so that's a real goal for me. Very, very practically, this is what I felt uh, the Lord sort of 
this is a kind of a, a challenge the Lord put on my heart, was to read a book that I would not normally ever, ever read. It's not a Christian book, um, but I felt like God challenged me to, to listen to the other, listen to someone you're not going to necessarily agree with, but seek to understand. Because when we seek to understand those that we don't get or agree with, that is often the beginning of reconciliation. That is often the beginning of God's redemptive work in what otherwise would have been irredeemable conflict, hatred, enemies. And so I felt God challenged me in this way, and I thought, what? I want to get a hold of a book that would basically argue for a politic and a, and a worldview that I really don't agree with, and I want to read it, I want to listen as prayerfully, that's very important, very important, as prayerfully as I possibly can. So this week I started reading White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And I'm trying so hard. Every time I, I, I listen, I'm listening to an audio, my God, just give me a humble heart. Um, I'm not trying to like, uh, I mean, in all honesty, I, I don't think I'm going to like necessarily be persuaded to like fundamentally shift my worldview, but I'm trying so hard to be open and humble and just prayerfully listen to this other person, listen to the other side of the debate as it were. And, um, but again, that's something that I feel like the Holy Spirit has led me to do. Um, it's, it's challenging, but I want to grow in my understanding of my neighbor's cultural uh, my neighbor's culture, and my own racial bias. I want to grow in that. And for a corporate goal, our together goal, not just our individual fruit goals, but us as a church family, this is my hope for us. That we, as a church community, that we would grow together in our compassion, for those who are hurting around us and that together our compassion would compel us to cross the road, spend our money, invest our time, give our affection to those who we don't necessarily understand, we don't necessarily agree with, we maybe don't necessarily even like. That our compassion would overcome misunderstanding, our compassion for a broken, hurting, angry slash hurting person, our compassion would compel us to see past the issues, past the debate, not to neglect, not to condone, but to see the human beyond the issue and to love even our enemies. My hope for us as a church that we would be like a light shining on a hill. That we would be like a, like a light shining out of a dark place because we all know that when you see a light in a dark place, you wanna look at it. Your, your, your attention is immediately brought to it. And I wanna be the kind of church family right here on Mason Street, planted right here in this neighborhood, this historic part of the city where there has been gross injustice and pain and, and, and everything that we've been hearing about and thinking about, hopefully, that I wanna be the kind of church that when the world looks on, instead of just seeing animosity and aggression return for aggression and retaliation, revenge, just this sort of nasty bickering and back and forth as if there's like some kind of civil war breaking out in the neighborhood, I wanna be the kind of church family that when the world looks on, they would see 
people loving their other their, their would-be enemies, those who would otherwise be categorized as, oh, they're against the church and the church is against them. Oh, they're, they're, they're marching for that cause, which is obviously not what the church is all about. So the church will naturally rail against them. Now, I think as a church, we have to speak prophetically against the evils in our society. We need to speak plainly about sin, even if it makes people, groups uh, uncomfortable. That's, that's what Jesus did a lot of. He spoke to the world he was living in and he called sin, sin. And people were challenged, people were convicted. Some people wanted to crucify him. Some people fell on their knees weeping, crying out for forgiveness. And so the church has a part to play in that. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit who always does the convicting. Very important to remember that. But we speak prophetically to the evils in a society and we love our enemies. And when the world looks on expecting to see just more aggression, more fighting, instead they see what looks like the beginnings of redemption, of reconciliation, the people of God loving each other well, the people of God acting like their king, laying their lives down, even for their would-be enemies. That's my hope for us, that we would grow together in our compassion for others. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you that you call us to grow up. Thank you that you advocate for us, that you've actually come down to die for us, to, to make this a possibility. And thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. You come to live inside of us so that as we respond to you, you meet us right there to strengthen us, to fulfill our desire to trust you and to obey you. You empower us to become more like you in every way. Lord, I pray that as a church family, we would respond um, with, a, with a zealousness, with an eagerness, with a joy to trust you and to obey you even more in this season of life. Lord, that we would take the challenge to become more fruitful seriously, that we would wrestle with that, that we wouldn't resist that, we wouldn't make excuses to work around that or to justify our lack of fruitfulness or even just sin in our own lives. Lord Jesus, won't you search our hearts and highlight the areas um, in our lives now and um, our life as a church that you want us to grow up in this season. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your great love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.